is Living Reconciled, a podcast dedicated to giving our communities practical evidence of the gospel message by helping Christians learn how to live in the reconciliation that Jesus has already secured for us by living with grace across racial lines. Hey, thanks so much for joining us on this episode of Living Reconciled, episode 41. I'm your host, Brian Crawford, with with my incredible friends. Austin. My, Austin. You don't even have a word to describe how good yeah, of friends I, we are. With my incredible I think, friends. I think last time with Prodigious, he just, uh, he just he's given up. Yeah. yeah. With my phenomenal I, friends. Yeah. Phenomenal. Yeah. You know, my wife's nickname for me is Mr. Incredible. So I'm, I'll, I'll, I Mr. like it. Incredible. I like it. Your like wife it. named you that? Well, well, we're, well gonna, we're gonna need verification. Maybe, maybe, Absolutely. Maybe we're gonna know, need verification. What's Beth's number? Maybe, man? maybe I she, verify this. Maybe she was. <laughs> Maybe she was being sarcastic, but yeah. she, she still she still called me Mister Incredible at least once yeah. in my life. Yeah. Episode forty one is sponsored by good good friends, folks yeah. like Nissan and folks like Saint Dominic Hospital, Atmos Energy, Regions Foundation, Brown Missionary Baptist Church, Christian Life Church, Miss Doris Powell, Mister Robert Ward, Miss Ann Winters. Thank you so much for everything that you do. It's because of what you do that we're able to do what we do. And me and my incredible friends today are able to do something groundbreaking. We, in light of Black History Month, have invited a living legend. Living. Alive. To join us on episode 41 of Living Reconciled. Dolphus Weary. Dr. Dolphus Weary. Dr. Dolphus Weary is a former president of this organization, Mission Mississippi. Dr. Dolphus Weary is a graduate of Los Angeles Baptist College. He is a graduate of Reform Theological Seminary. He is a a national speaker, author, minister, preacher. He is a strategic thinker and leader. He has led organizations like Mendenhall Ministries, Mission Mississippi, of course, as, as we mentioned and also Real Christian Foundation. Dolphus Weary is a proud husband and father, and we will give him time to share details about that. But he is obviously an incredible friend of Mission Mississippi, and we couldn't be more delighted to have Dr. Dolphus Weary join us here on Episode 41. Doctor, how you doing, sir? I'm doing good. So I appreciate the opportunity to be here. I, I have a question. Can we ask a question? Go ahead. I want to know does he have a middle name? Are these signs if, if he's putting a name on a phone, would he put Dolphus uh uh N I M N M I Weary? No middle initials. I, I went to I went to junior college at, at Piney Woods and everybody around me had a middle name. I didn't have a middle name. Did they give you one? No, I decided to give myself a middle name. And so I wanted to be I started thinking about one day I want to be Dr. D.D. D. Weary. Really? D.D. D. D. Double D. Double so, D. So it's Dr. Dolphus, Dolphus du- Weary? Douglas. Douglas. Dolphus so you, Douglas gave your, you gave yourself a middle name? I gave myself a middle a- name. It's not necessarily official, but I gave myself a middle name. Okay. <laughs> Do anybody ever call you Douglas? No. Anybody call you Doug? No. Well, we can start that. Yeah, we can start today yeah. on on the forty first <laughs> podcast I mean, of Living Reconcile. We have with us today, never presented this way before, <laughs> Doctor Douglas Weary. 
Or affectionately known as Doug. <laughs> affectionately known. Oh, we gonna work this as man. Doug. Boy, y'all working that big time, Doctor Weary. Um, we we were kicking around before the before the podcast this this morning, um, talking a little bit about your own story and history. You you're, again, you're an author, you're a thinker, writer, preacher. You wrote a book called "I Ain't Coming Back," and it describes your story uh, growing up in Mississippi, and it describes your story crossing over the Mississippi river bridge on interstate 20 heading over to the, the great lands of California and saying to yourself, I ain't coming back to this state that we call Mississippi. Talk to us a little bit about the fifties and sixties as Dolphus weary. And why would a young Dolphus weary, excuse me, it's Dolphus Douglas, Dolphus Douglas weary. Why would a young Dolphus Douglas weary say to himself, I ain't ever coming back to this state. Well, you know, uh, growing up in Mississippi, growing up in a large family, um, growing up in poverty, so I had to I had to deal with poverty and racism mm-hmm. all at the same time. Where I saw poverty most was was in the black community. I, I didn't see very much poverty, you know, in the in the dominant white community. I grew up in Mendenhall, so you drive into Mendenhall. And when you go to the right, you cross the railroad tracks and you go into the black community. The black community had no paved streets, no street lights, no businesses, dilapidated houses right across the railroad tracks. Then you go on the other side of railroad tracks, there were paved streets, street lights, businesses, nice homes, all those kind of things. So growing up in the black community, there was that sense of hopelessness. There was that sense of, you know, I'm trapped in this because I'm not white, you know. And so, so why, why is all of this? Why is all of this? And so when you, you know, when you look across the railroad tracks, you have all these other things. When you look across in our community, those things are not there. So I began to think about that and, and look at it. And so one of the things that came to my mind was the fact that, 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 that maybe, you know, God has put a curse on black folk. And we we are this way because of a curse, mm. and and then in studying the scriptures, I began to find out that hey, wait a minute, there's nothing wrong with God in this whole process. And then the other one was I thought that that we would that we were just you know supposed to be, we couldn't rise up and do anything else mm. but just live in this situation. Mm. And then I looked at it and said, well, maybe the, that's not the problem. What came to my spirit was maybe the problem is Mississippi. I just need to get out of Mississippi. And so that was the driving force in me that was that toll. Why is it that black people are living over in this community and white people are living over in this community and I can't go in that community, so it must be something wrong with us. No, it's not anything wrong with us, but there's something wrong with Mississippi. So one day I'm going to leave Mississippi and I'm never coming back. Dr. Weary, when you talk about Mississippi and you talk about that sense of hopelessness. Was that a, a hopelessness that was pronounced? Was it discussed? Was it, was there conversations around that? Or was that just something that you just internally experienced and said, looked around, saw what was visible in front of you and just said, man, this feels hopeless. You know, when I went to the school, the school I went to was all black. Uh, The bus I rode on, was a dilapidated bus. You could hear it coming two or three miles down the road. The the bus that white students rode 
past my house, a nice new bus, newer bus. And I can hear my bus coming, you know, miles down the road. And so that, that was, that told me something. You mean, you mean the children was cheering and excited about being on the bus? No, it was the fact that the bus was a raggedy <laughs> it bus. Was the engine. It was the engine. <laughs> the engine, the wind ran. You can hear the excitement uh, from the kids. Yeah. yeah miles no, down the road. No, yeah. no, 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 no. No, that was not the case. Right? <laughs> that was not the case. That was not the case. I got to school, got the textbook, looked at the buildings. The buildings were a little dilapidated. Looked at the textbooks, and there were five or six names in the textbook. You know, they put the names of people in the textbook back in that day. And I'm reading these names, and I don't know any of these people, none of these people. So I had to learn that these were hand-me-down textbooks. Once the white people that used the textbooks for five or six years, they would hand the textbooks down to us, and we used those textbooks. So all of that went against me, you know, growing up in, in, in Mississippi during those times. I'm... Man, the 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 experience, like you said, the combination of poverty and racism. Right. As I hear you, what, what I hear you describing is racism in terms of inequities and discrepancies, and, and and the the discrepancies between the haves and the have-nots, right? Right. And how and how racism manifested itself in that way. Mm-hmm. When when you were coming up during this age in Mendenhall, Mississippi, did you see racism express itself? even in more overt ways in terms of the kind of animosity that, you know, that my mother shares her story. When she shares her stories, she talks about not only the racism in terms of what you're experiencing, which is the inequities and the discrepancies, but she talks about racism as the animosity manifesting itself. Just people just saying harmful things, doing harmful things to her, her parents, her, her siblings, herself. Did you experience that? Um, in the in the Mississippi that you grew up in, that would lead you to drive. I mean, uh, ride that bus and say, "I'm not coming back." <laughs> not so much of that. Mm-hmm. You know, I saw it. I saw it in my my mother. My mother was uh, work did domestic work in people's homes, those kind of things. And one time, she went to the dentist down in Mendenhall, and uh, at the end of the day, the sheriff came to our house and picked her up and said, uh, "Lucille." Uh, you stole a ring from this person down there. This lady got a ring missing. She st- you stole a ring. And my mom said, no, I didn't steal a ring. But they said, yes, you were there. You stole a ring. So they took her, arrested her, took her to jail. Now, here we were. It was like seven of us children and my mom. And, and the oldest one of us probably was like 14, 15. And here she was being taken to prison saying I did not do it um, because she worked for this white guy doing the cleaning and all those kind of things. He went and told them that Lucia wouldn't do that. Lucia wouldn't do that. But no matter what, they still kept her overnight. The next day they found the ring. They released her. But nobody came back and said, I'm sorry. Mm. Nobody came back and said we were wrong. It was just done that way because she was black. That was inside of me. Then as I grew up, I began to see some little doors opening up because they, in Mendenhall, they put their first black person on the police force. I learned that he can only stop and deal with black folk. He could not stop white people. He could not stop anybody else, but he he can only arrest black people. Did he arrest any of y'all? 
Huh? Did he arrest you? Or oh, he didn't arrest me. But the fact is, you know, he, he was, was brought on. He to was police. brought on to go into the black community and hound these black folk. But you can't, you know, white people person can be doing anything they want to do, but he couldn't de- deal with them. He couldn't rest, arrest them or talk to them. He could only deal with, with black people. So that was a thing that when it got in my mind. So, so it began to get more and more in my mind. Listen, if I would go to school to become a doctor, I can only doctor on black people and I can't have access to some of the things because even even in our ministry, when we when we in, in Mendenhall, we started a, a Christian health clinic. Um, first few doctors were white doctors, came as volunteers from churches. They came down. They were the first few doctors. In 1976, when we got our first black doctor, he came to Mendenhall, started working, but he could not use the hospital. He could not put patients in the hospital. He could not go and visit them in the hospital. So he didn't have access. 1976. 1976. He didn't have access. Were you born in? To the hospital. Were you born in? I, I wasn't born in. <laughs> 1976. Yeah. But I mean, and, and, and that's that's the yeah. piece that that that's important sometimes for our listeners to hear. Yeah. Because when we think about the civil rights movement, we think mm-hmm. about it as a movement, 40s, 50s, 60s. And then people begin to say, oh, but, you know, I mean. No, it's all perfect in the late yeah, 60s. By the time, by the We're time good. you get to work the 60s on anymore. We get a few, we get yeah. a few bills moved, moved through Congress, and, hey, everything's, everything's okay. We're mm-hmm. talking about 1976, no. and there's still no access to the hospitals. No, was, right, was that the law? Was that the law, or was that just um, what, regulation, or was that really just kind of uh, corruption on the persons who were supposed to oversee the regulation? Does that, does that make sense as per, yeah. my, as per I, my question? I'm not, I'm not sure. Right. I'm not sure. Right. Uh, and we had, at the same time, we had a, a, a white doctor there um, that stuck his neck out, well, I say it, and really worked hard to whatever – whatever that barrier was to get yeah. that barrier moved because they had in their written regulations that no black doctor could put patients in the hospital or whatever. But he, he worked hard to get that removed. So it was like 1977 before our doctor, the black doctor who came and gave his life to Mendenhall and to be there in the community, he had began to have access to the yeah. hospital. And that, that just that just goes to show that, you know, state laws on the books, they, they did take some significant right. time, um, even after Supreme Court cases and, and other areas, you know, because you know, it takes a, it takes time for, for laws to be fixed, but I also think this is showing an, an important point is taking times for hearts yeah. to be fixed as well. Yeah. Right. And and so. the incredible point about advocates advocates, you know, yes. because it took it took the uh, a fa- a faithful white doctor. That's right. To advocate mm-hmm. for 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 this um, for this opportunity for black doctors and black patients as well, absolutely. And so and so, yeah, absolutely. Now that was in nineteen that was in nineteen seventy six. Now when MLK Martin Luther King Jr. was in jail in the Birmingham jail, what what, what years? Was it? So we're talking about late fifties, right? Didn't didn't he and the the the, the clergy guy that wrote him the letter, what, how many was Seven, six? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, seven. Seven wrote him that letter. Wasn't that one of the points he made about weight? It takes time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the law for integration and all that passed in, what, in mid-50s? 
And it was eight, eight clergymen. Sorry, Nettie. Eight okay, clergymen. Eight I thought clergymen. I thought it was it, it was had to look that up because my head, okay. it wouldn't settle. It wouldn't settle right. Seven, eight is yeah. the same thing. So <laughs> so one, two, same thing. The, Three, four, the, same. The thing. point I want to make is Math though, isn't real facts. Yeah. <laughs> the the point I want to make, and, and Austin Hill a little bit, he said it took time for the hearts to change. Well, the hearts hadn't changed. Right. Right. You know, right. Because right, even right, even right, though right. the law was passed in fifty some to integrate the schools and, and equal schools and equal books and, and Dolphins is talking about uh hand me downs and headed raggedy bus <laughs> clicking and clanking miles <laughs> right. away, right? Right, right. Not because the children were sharing or whatever yeah. else, they were probably like praying to make right. sure he was gonna make it to school. So when you look at it and here I was a young kid running around and my mother was arrested and taken. That's just one example of what the system sort of said. Right. White people. The, do, and from your perspective, though, it's Mississippi system. It huh? was a Mississippi system. At that point. That, that, and, and nowhere else. Yeah. Nowhere else. I, I, can't, I can't wait for you to get across <laughs> that bridge. <laughs> okay, so, so going across that, that, that bridge in, in Louisiana, going into, into Louisiana from Mississippi, Looking back at that sign that says "Welcome to Mississippi," only thing I could think about was "Bye Mississippi, right. I'm gone," and I ain't right. never, never, ever. Got. And this is this is sixty. This is sixty-seven. Sixty-seven when you cross. Okay. Right. Okay. 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 Six so sixty-seven seven. when you cross, and right. as you as you cross, you're heading to California, right? And 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 why are you going? Land to of the free, promised land, Canaan land, Canaan land. So why are you heading to Canaan land, Doctor Weir? Well, no, number one, there was this, milk and honey. There was this, <laughs> there was this college group that came down to to visit uh, Doctor Perkins in nineteen sixty six, sixty seven, and they came to the school I was going to. I was going Doctor John Perkins. Doctor John Perkins. They came to the school I was going to, and on that uh, on that team was the director of admissions of L.A. Baptist College. On that team was John MacArthur Jr., who's a prominent pastor in yeah, Southern California yeah. now. He was on that team. He was a he was a college, he was a seminary student at, at Talbot at the time. He was wow. on that team, and they went around and so forth, and 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 came to the school I went to. Found out that I was a Christian. Found out to play basketball, and they began to talk about how. Now, which one were they imp- Which one were they impressed with first? Your Christianity or your basketball skills? <laughs> that's a good question. That's a good question. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah, a good yeah, question. Yeah, well, he's, so, po- he's poking now. He's, right. he's yeah. really. So they, so they said, "Hey, we give you an opportunity to go to school in California mm. on, on a basketball scholarship." Oh, friend, so they was impressed with your basketball skills. Well, <laughs> I, 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 and you just, and you just happen to be a Christian, which I, I made think, it better, right? And, looking, <laughs> and I think they were looking to find some token blacks mm. to come wow. to a school that was explain, all white. Hey, wow. Explain that we're token. Explain that wow. we're token, man. Look, that look, ain't look, a coin in your pocket. Okay, how, that's right. It's like we need to find somebody that would be willing to come in and help us because we didn't discover. It just didn't dawn on me at that time. I'm a young college student. I didn't know that I was getting ready to go to an all-white Christian right. college. Yeah. In my mind, I thought that every place in America was integrated, integrated. and going on forth. This Mississippi is the problem. Absolutely. So, so, so when you left Mississippi, did you actually leave Mississippi? That's right. Yeah. right. That's the question. Right. That's the question. In, yeah. That's right. In some ways, you know, I left Mississippi. In other ways, Mississippi was where I went. Living Reconciled is a work of Mission Mississippi, but it is not our only work. 
from days of dialogue and prayer meetings to consultation for schools, businesses, and churches. Mission Mississippi is eager to help you, your team, your church, and your community live reconciled. Every month, join us for our weekly prayer breakfasts on Tuesdays and Thursdays at 6.45 a.m., our bi-weekly statewide connection meetings on Fridays at 10 a.m., and a focused time of prayer on the third Thursday of the month at 7 a.m. To get details on any of our upcoming events or to learn how you can invite us to your church, business, or school, visit our website at missionmississippi.org and click on the events button or call us at 601-353-6477. Wow. Right. No, the, see what happened. They heard you were going to California, so they shipped some Mississippi folks out there to meet you out there. They want you to have a reception out there in California. Right. So, so, so a, wow. a friend of mine was going to another junior college. We ended up out there together, so it was two of us. And when we got on campus, we discovered that we were the first two black students ever to live on campus and go to school. Another black person that went there, but he drove in every day. But we were the first 1967. two. 1967. 1967. We were the first two to be on campus and to – and to go to L.A. Baptist College. Wow. Did they put you in the room one of them greeters from Mississippi? Nope. They were they were wise enough to <laughs> seek out. They, 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 we found out about this later. They were wise enough to talk to different students and find out who would be willing to room with a black person. Because they thought if we room in, in ourselves, if we were both roommates, then we would isolate ourselves and get completely isolated. So they decided to try to find a white black a white male that would be a roommate for me and a white male would be a roommate for others because they had two people in each room. Were they successful? They were successful. successful. Yeah. Good. And, and the and these Good. two white brothers, mm-hmm. what was life like? Of course you only you only experienced yeah. rooming with one. What was life like rooming these two white gentlemen who had to step up to no, the, the plate? And, and and say yes, I'm willing to room with the first black students on campus here at Los Angeles Baptist. Probably didn't think about it because we didn't know that they were actually picked, hand picked. Wow. wow! You know, when we got there, it was later on we found out that they were hand picked people who didn't mind. They both were great guys. We had great relationships and things of that nature, as great a relationship as we could have had, because um, we never talked about some of the things. Um, for example. A major thing that happened that year, 67, 68, Martin Luther King was shot in Kiel. Yes, sir. Yeah. When he got shot, somebody ran and told me. Lorraine Motel, Memphis, Tennessee. Memphis, Mm -hmm. Tennessee. So Mm -hmm. somebody ran and told me about the fact that um, Martin Luther King had been shot. So naturally, what I wanted to do is to go to my room, grab my radio, and try to find out what happened to my hero. So I went to my room, turned the radio on, trying to find out what happened to my hero. Then I began to hear white Christian kids walking up and down the hallway talking about how glad they were that Martin Luther King was shot. I'm trapped now. I'm trapped. I'm, I'm here. My hero is something. My hero is killed, and I got white Christian kids laughing and joking about how glad they were that he was killed. You thought you were leaving. I thought I'd left, leaving that. left that. And now I'm caught with it again. So now I'm going through the same three questions. And this is incredible, Dr. Weir, because this is your first year. Yeah. April 1968, we're still in, we're in the spring of your first year on campus. Right, right. And so, so, so I had to go through this thing again, the questions. Number one, what am I going to do? Should I, should I leave this campus 
and go up to San Francisco and join H. H. Rep. Brown and Stokeland Carmichael and the Black Power Movement. Mm. Should I do that? Leave the school, go join them, and get a part of the Black Power Movement. That was number one. Number two, should I stay here and and ignore white people? Start hating white people, ignoring them, and so forth. That was in my mind. The third thing that came to my mind was, Maybe I need to use this as an opportunity to educate my brothers and sisters. And God gave that last one to me. Stay here. Do everything you can to educate people. Every time I I wrote a paper, it was a paper talking about a black person. Every time I had a chance to get my testimony, I would share about black people. And every time I had a chance to, every now and then there were other opportunities I would write papers. I would do all those kind of things to try to educate people. So I need to be an educator of these folk rather than ignoring it and not doing anything about okay. it. Okay, you know, you know, I'm gonna jump right in the middle of this poke just a little bit. Uh, what were your roommate doing at the time? How did that work? Um, was he supportive or he's just neutral or just you don't have to be personal about it? Yeah, he he was he was very supportive. Okay, good. He was very good, supportive. Good. Aren't you? You know, it's some thing that we can learn from that. You know, we talk about how they how they handled this situation. I was impressed, mm-hmm. first of all, that the people that recruited you looked at your Christianity, even though mm-hmm. I poked at it a little bit, mm-hmm. and but also they went out of their way. Mm-hmm to do what they could to make this first-time experience for them and for you mm-hmm. to be successful. Mm-hmm. You call them hand-picked. Mm-hmm. Um, I was impressed the fact that they would find someone that would be supportive in that role and be willing to go against whatever was taking place on campus. You know, mm-hmm. I'm sure, not just just my perception, I'm sure that the guy that was living with you was probably getting hackled with his buddies and things about you living with that Right. Yeah, well, you just take it from there and make mm-hmm. it whatever. You want. And, <laughs> yeah. and, and, you know, how to feel. I remember my brother being in uh, the Firestone store as a manager in Memphis, Southgate Shopping Center. We lived in Tunica, and he'd go back and forth every day. And so some of the people that lived in Tunica worked for him mm. in Memphis at the Firestone store. I remember the bank president, when one of his employees came in, I remember the bank president asking, How does it feel to work for the inn? Mama. And so I'm I'm thinking those guys was like, you know, they wasn't pure and clear and no problems either. I'm thinking they were getting some pushback. Yeah. I would think. That's just my thought. And you can you yeah. get and, and there's advocates. What I love about this story is that even in the midst of all of this chaos and division and disparities and inequities, um and and pain, mm. there's these small glimmers and glimpses of hope and advocacy and people that are willing to step into the tension with you, mm-hmm. the white, the white doctor in Mendenhall in, mm-hmm. in the seventies, yeah. the, the, the young, the young college students who say, mm-hmm. yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll room together no matter if we catch some heat for doing it. But you see these moments here. And then even in, in your moment, Dr. Weary, because, because I, I and you can please step in and share share your thoughts on this. But it seems for a lot of young college men, Dr. King's death also represented a moment of crisis because mm. Dr. King was advocating for nonviolence, advocating for love being a greater force than hatred. And so when Dr. King gets murdered, there's an opportunity 
for that dream and that philosophy to die as well, especially for a lot of young men, which is why you highlighted, hey, I was thinking about heading towards heading towards other movements, right? Looking at some other movements that maybe did maybe weren't so gentle towards hatred, right? That's right. Except in in God's grace, the, the word you, forgiveness, forgiving in that, right, right, yeah. right? Right. Except in God's grace, He led you to say, "No, this is also a fight against ignorance," and so yeah. I'm going to fight ignorance not with hatred, but with education, with love, with forgiveness. Yeah. And so what was it also a time of crisis for young men like like yourself in, in that mm-hmm. moment after King's death? Yeah, it certainly was a, a, a tough moment for those guys who wanted to do what was right because we had a basketball team, and there were two of us that were black on a basketball team with 12 people. I, I remember that those guys on that basketball team, a number of them came to our rescue too mm-hmm. in terms of being able to say some positive things that, about uh, Dr. King. But, but we were living at a, a time that the conservative white Christian movement in this country had labeled Martin Luther King mm. as a troublemaker. Mm. You know, we'll eventually get over all this stuff. You're just a troublemaker. Mm. So, so, so you had so many people who labeled, no matter how well he came forth as nonviolence, he was still troublemaking for the problem, mm. for the for the upsetting, race. Upsetting, upsetting status, status, quo. status quo. That's right. That's yeah. a good one. I love it. So, yeah, yeah. You can read more about that in, in the letters from the Berman, the letter from the Birmingham jail, yeah. and also in the autobiography and in the whole thing. Not only was the what do you call the conservative what conservative Christians conservative Christian who, who love Jesus and love the Bible. Yeah, but you use another word, a big E word, evangelical. Oh, that big word. So. But it was more than that. The government was in on the on the. Um, what what do you say when you uh, set people up for bad publicity and and make a them smear out campaign? Yeah, the government, the FBI, and J. F. Hoover was in on this smear campaign yeah. of King revealing his personal life, true or false. They didn't care. They just had all kinds of stuff out there to make him out to be something that he was. You know something that it I, that came to me even even later even later is because the kids at the school were only, you know, bringing out that which they were taught. Right. So if they See, the, the evangelical, yeah, this, is a, right. this is an evangelical school, right? That's right. Evangelical and, school. And, and then you got the government, the FBI, which people trusted. Yep. Especially white folks, black uh-huh. folks didn't trust them, but anyway, yeah. they trust. And so when they said something, it was like gospel, whether it came from the evangelical crowd or it came from the FBI That's or the right. government, it was gospel. That's right. Exactly. And so ignorance so, so was that Christian, the root. Right. So the Christian faith was intermingled with bad stuff against wow. us. Wow. Wow. So that so that ignorance yeah. at the root drew your heart to say, I'm gonna educate. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm move educated. past I'm gonna move past the mud. That's right. I'm gonna move past all of the all of the lies, the disinformation, the smears, yeah. and I'm mm-hmm. gonna educate and I'm gonna show a different side. Yeah. And so what yeah. did that journey look like for Dr. Dolphus Douglas Weary oh, he got in, it, Cal- in California? <laughs> I, I would have just said Doug. In 68, 69, 70. What did that yeah. journey of education you, look you would like? think as long as we've been in this room together in this podcast, we could say Doug. <laughs> we wouldn't have to say Dr. Dolphus well, Douglas. We could just say, let me, let all right, throw, Doug, let us have yeah, it. Yeah, let, let me throw one other. <laughs> yes, sir. I have to throw another negative in. Yes, sir. Not long after we were there, 
uh, the president of the school called us into his office and said that uh, the quickest way to get a ticket back to Mississippi is to try to date one of the white students. Like, oh yeah, I was, that, I was about to ask that, that, how that. Yeah, and so you would he, ask he, that question, right? Educa- I would. Yeah, <laughs> he, he educated <laughs> us. He educated us in that short visit mm-hmm. that you own this campus. You're here. You can be accepted as a student, but if you try to date another white girl, we're gonna give you a ticket and send you back to Mississippi. That's it. Yeah, what am I? Hey, not so much as we gonna do that, but the but the people had to say yeah. so and the power and authority to oh, do right. that. Trustees, that's right. Yeah, and he yeah, may even yeah. got a ticket with you. That's right. And uh, <laughs> one of my one of my professors in seminary, uh, Rick Gray, I took him for two classes. He integrated in Arizona. Uh, mm-hmm. Evangelical school. Mm-hmm. I now I, I I assume because you're not telling us that you didn't try to date any of the young girls right. on campus. He did, and he he in, in a lot of his stuff. And and this is um, beneath the load of the cross is the book that he writes this about. And he writes about his experience uh, date. Like he's like I fell in love with her. She fell in love with me. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it didn't work out because we're not married now. He married. He actually ended up marrying another white woman. But um, but he just he 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 accounts the um, you know his he didn't graduate from that school first of all because that was that was a def, uh, defining ticket. factor. Yeah, well, the um, ticket home for him. He, he experienced uh, he experienced uh, spiritual, emotional, and physical abuse wow. uh, from that. Um, even at the hands of the young girl's father, mm. uh, he allowed because he was a large football player. Mm. Uh, he allowed himself to get beat. He could have. He's like I. I knew at any moment I could have grabbed this man and and I could have overpowered him. But he said I didn't because I believe that this was my this is my cross to bear. That's that's mm. his wow. his understanding. It's a great book and it it, sh- it should be read. But uh, but I just remember that 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 parallel of yeah. of, of, so of a young book- man who's in a similar situation as you. Yeah. Who decided? Hey, I, I I did fall in love, and I mm-hmm. I do want to date this person. I do mm-hmm. want to marry her. Yeah. Uh, so it was very different. Yeah. Yeah. I, and, so yeah. be clear, that was an African American. Afri- oh yeah, yeah. Rick was yeah. Af- African American. Doctor Gray was African American. Oh right. yeah. In, in yeah. my in my limited way of handling this this question was maybe we need to go back to Mississippi and during the summer try to recruit other students to come. <laughs> To, yeah. to L.A. Baptist College. Mm-hmm. And so we ended up recruiting about five or six girls the next year. Oh, good, to good, go good, good, good. So y'all took care of that problem. You, 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 you noticed he said girls. He's getting somebody that's right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> there, were a couple of guys, there were a couple of guys in that whole process. And all of a sudden there was, you know, probably nine of us on campus. Now instead of two, there are nine. Right. Good. You know, a couple more guys and five girls and so forth wow. for that second year. Wow, wow. Again, I think I, I think – I'm sorry. No, no, no. Go no, ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, I think, you know, the reason we have the legend here today, th- mm. that need to be highlighted. Rather than him taking this anti-violent mm. mentality, mm. he did what God would have for him to do. Not only did – see, I, I, I'm thinking through this, and yeah. maybe I'm overthinking it, but I'm thinking through this, is that the people that brought him there uh, exercised good judgment in terms of – Making sure that they wanted this to be successful, mm. it was not. In my opinion, I know you used the token thing, but I don't think it was totalistic. Uh, totalistic in 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 terms of, I think it was a genuine, mm. uh, a genuine desire on their part to integrate the school and do it in a way that it would be pleasing to God. Mm. And I think they took those steps to do that. And in fact, the reason I say that, Dolph, is you thought about educating them. 
doing that, but also you were allowed. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. a word. You were allowed to go back mm-hmm. and come back with more. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in my experience with being toasted, this is that the last thing they want you to do is to bring some more folks <laughs> like you there, you know. <laughs> so you got the privilege of helping educate the university or the college, mm-hmm. help integrate it. And 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 that brought the, the 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 balance of equality and all of those things to that particular school at that particular time. In in my opinion, because those times was those was that's pretty rugged times about you know first African American showing up and mm-hmm. you know and 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 being welcomed back and 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 doing that. The, the crisis of King's killing some, a lot of other things were going on during that. Cause I was, a, I was, I can remember that, you know, I was a high school student. Uh, I think I was a senior in high school during that time. And, you know, I can remember what went on just in the community yeah. and just within the African American community mm-hmm. of the fight was on. Now, what do we do that King is gone? Yeah. You know, like you said, my hero is gone. And so, you know, people lost hope and joined all kinds of, burning crash movements or, or mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it in, in terms of that. So I don't, I don't think we need to miss that. Yeah. What you did with that in, in terms of that. Yeah. You can, you can be, you can grow in your negative mm. or you can ask God to give you a positive. Mm. What can we do? Here's the problem. What can we do? We got a problem. There are, there are African-American men on this campus, but they're not in the African-American females. What can we do? Let's go out and see, can we recruit? so that we can equalize this thing on the mm-hmm. campus. Mm-hmm. And and moving forward, now you got a few more African-American men, mm-hmm. a few more African-American women. Mm-hmm. What's the temperature, what's the climate on campus as this population grows? Yeah. Um, it's, it's hard to tell. It's hard to tell. Um, I think, but what we had was... Did they stick? Right. But, but what we had... What we really did have now is now for the for the girls dealing with their issues, the white girls who grown up in an, a a community that says white, 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 they now have an opportunity to interact with African Americans. And Rosie had a my wife had a tough time with her roommate because her roommate wanted to remain where she was, mm. you know, and keep a label on Rosie. You know, and Rosie worked hard that year to try to break that old stereotypical label that she had about black people. You know? Wow! So, so, so it was like a, like a, it was a opportunity to deal with it and not just walk around angry, mm-hmm. but to actually deal. So with every it. problem come with an opportunity. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's wow. right. When you talk about a lot, when you talk about your experience, of course, you play ball at Los Angeles Baptist. Um, you begin to educate. And that 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 passion for education increases, and so talk to us as you're moving through Los Angeles Baptist, and the Lord is beginning to impress upon you uh, your path, or beginning to set in place your path and your journey going forward. Um, what what begins to take shape for you as it relates to your particular calling and the and the journey that God is about to send you on uh, past Los Angeles Baptist. There was a voice out here called John Perkins' voice. <laughs> this, 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 this voice was saying, we want you to come back to Mississippi. We mm-hmm. want you to come back to Mississippi. That voice was there. This is uh, 70. This is 70, 70, 71. Okay. Right at 70. Okay. 
And and so it was another voice. 19... It went in another voice out there with that voice. <laughs> look, look. What was that other voice out there saying? Ain't coming back. Ain't coming back. Look at look at look at look at. And and then in the midst of this in 1970. Uh, I was selected to go with a Christian basketball team overseas called Overseas Crusade Sports Ambassadors. And we was, this was a six-week tour, and we played ball in Taiwan, Philippines, Hong Kong, ministry, all those kind of things. And the coach began to challenge me about, uh, you know, becoming a, a full-time person with Overseas Crusade Sports Ambassadors and, and coming to Taiwan or Philippines or Hong Kong. And the more the coach challenged me, the more God began to speak to my heart and the question was, Dolphus, are you thinking about going to a mission field or are you running away from a mission field? Mm. Wow. Say that again, am I, Dolphus. Mm, That's deep. Am I thinking about going to a mission wow. field or am I running away from a mission field? It became very clear to me that I was still running away from Mississippi. And God put in my spirit that we need to come back to Mississippi. And so I came home. I was engaged to my wife. I came home and in June, late June, and I had to tell her, I said, I think, believe that God is calling us back to Mississippi because we were planning on getting married that August. And so we agreed that that was the thing that happened, that we need to come back to Mississippi and not not give up on the idea of Mississippi being a place that God could So Ms. Rosie was open to coming back. She was open to coming back. Now, now, now you said you was running away or going to. Was was Rosie agreeable to come back? Or she was willing to go wherever Dolphins go. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, well, I, I, I like for you. I would, I would. I would love for you to brought her today so we could answer that question. <laughs> yeah, the the question. end game. That's the end game question. was that she was she was willing to go where where I'd, I'd yeah. want to go because yeah. she had a, she had her own dream of of not coming back to Mississippi mm. either. Mm. She she loved the idea of being in California. She was tired of the poverty. And injustice in Mississippi. So going to California was her was like wonderful. We're getting I'm getting out of here. Yeah. I'm getting out of here. So Riddick, you coming back to Mississippi was and, and Rosa coming back with you is it, it was like a this is a sacrifice for you both for the service of in Kingdom of God. It was an Because neither one of you was that that's excited right. about coming that's back. Right. You know? That's right. That's right. It, it was even great. even though John Perkins sent you to California <laughs> of sorts and he was telling you to come back, you really wasn't interested in listening to his, at, his voice. And he took away everything. He took away everything because mm. he said, We want you to come back to Mississippi. Okay. Then he said, but you got to raise your own support now. No, 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 no. So it's like, it's like, so, so it wasn't the fact that he was, he was prepared for me to come back and, you know, he didn't, I, ha- I, he didn't I, have I, everything taken care of. He didn't have everything taken care of. No, 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 no. Now we want you to come back and now we want you to raise your own support. And I'm going, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. I didn't go to college to get an you education to come out and go out and beg people. You, you didn't think God voice was in that's that. Right, that's right. That's right. I did not. You, Eddie, you saying it right. I did not think it was God's voice. <laughs> you thought go, God God would say, come on back. We got right. your salary, everything listen, covered, listen right? Going to school, getting an education, it meant getting a job and making a greater salary. That's what it meant. Right. Somewhere. Right. So so now I'm going to school, got an education, got my degree. Now I want to go and get a job and make the money. And the end thing that was put in there, you got to raise it. Right. Right. And so we started off. Uh, going to a couple of churches in California. So you started out begging for a living. Started begging for a living. Look well, at that's, that. That's nonprofit world. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> it, it went against a lot of stuff inside oh, of me. I had no idea. Yeah. You know, because I, I went to school to get an education, so somebody would pay me to do what I did. 
that, that's interesting, Dolph, is that, <laughs> that now you had to go uh, fundraise that's and, right. and, and ask folks for money. How, how did you tell Were you successful? Yes. This one little church in, in Osborne, it's called Osborne Neighborhood Church in California. Uh, we had a relationship with that church. They helped support me to go on that trip overseas. And they started supporting us for $50 a month. And they supported us for 40 years. That fifty dollars a month. Wow! But 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 after after we got that fifty dollar one, uh, we we were introduced to First Presbyterian Church of Glendale, and the pastor said something to me very clear. Glendale is in where? Glendale, California. The pastor said something to me. He said, "Dolphus, you grew up in Mississippi. You came to school in California. You got your degree, and you believe that God wants you to go back." And he said, "The only reason that's stopping you from going back is is money." I said, yeah. And he made, he said to me that this church would give you $500 a month. We had to raise $800. That's This church would give you $500 a month if that's, if that's what you believe God wants you to do. And that took all the things out of my sale because, you know, I was, how am I going to do How, 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 right. how? You know, and, and God opened up that door. And that was a major door for us. And that, Seal the fact that we could come back. And they continue to support you. They tend to support us about three or four, four years. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Again, another other, another glimmer. Another glimmer of light. Glimmer another of light. glimmer of hope. <laughs> That's right. That's when you right. come back to Mendenhall, is it the same Mendenhall that you left? It was basically the same Mendenhall that I left. Uh, John Perkins had been there a number of years and had, had started this, uh, this, this church that was going on and living in the community and doing – um, get you know, a church. Give the church a shout out, man. Tell them what the name of the church is. I hate to Mendenhall Bible Church. Okay, is the church there in Mendenhall that started and they had outreach ministries are still going. But when we came back, God hooked us up with John Perkins, you know, and we worked together and so forth. That Mendenhall became a model for so many other communities throughout this country. A model ministry of having a health clinic, having a, a, a thrift store, a farm, a law office, a housing ministry. It had a holistic Christian community development ministry. And this is Men and Hall Ministries. This is Men and Hall Ministries. Yeah. Well, it used to be Voice of Calvary Ministries. Used to be Voice of Calvary Ministries. Wow. Wow. And so the work begins for you, early 70s. And what does that work look like for Dolphus and now Rosie Weary? <laughs> what does that work look like in Mendenhall? And what are some of the the greater, more memorable impacts? That you that that you believe that God was making during that time um, through that work, I think that we didn't know that that God was using this as a prototype of what can be done in poor communities throughout this country. Mm-hmm. We just knew that that there was no place for recreation, so we built a gym. So we wanted to have a place, a safe place for kids to come to to be. To able to be loved, cared for, disciplined, and taught about Jesus. So we built a gym, we built a health clinic because we, you know, what we my day was that yes, you could go to a doctor's office, but the doctor's office had a a back room for black patients and the front room for white patients. And white patients would come in and see the doctor, and at the end of the day, the doctor would see. The black patient. So you could sit in the doctor's office all day and die while he went on the white folks. Or <laughs> you could say that. And then, you know, the good news for us was 
that later on we, we started the clinic across the railroad tracks in the black community and it flooded in that area so much. We, we, we bought a, a new x-ray machine, put it in an x-ray machine. They tested it on me while they was testing it on me. It was raining on the outside. Wow. And that it flooded that community and flooded that out. We never got a chance to use this new x-ray machine wow. that we had. And so God put in our spirit that we need to move out of this community. The clinic needs to be out of this community. And so we were able to buy a, a clinic that used to be owned by a white doctor. His wife wanted the, the building to continue to be used. He had died uh, to, as a clinic. And that's the only reason why we were able to get that building. Because they wouldn't have so the white community wouldn't allowed anybody to sell property to people from the black community. But because she was independent, they couldn't threaten to cut off the bank. They couldn't threaten to do anything to her because she was independent. She went against the culture at that time and sold that building to us. Wow. Now, at the time, we had a, a white doctor, you know, but he was still tied with Mendenhall Ministries, which is te- technically a black led ministry. And, uh, and so we were able to get that building and to have the health clinic up there. So yeah. that kind of model of having a health clinic with a Christian doctor worked. And not only does it cause people to get patients can come in and get served, but what kind of model does it serve for young people in the community? And we've had a couple of doctors that came out of, of young people who become doctors and nurses and different people because they had a chance to see those models. Mm. Yeah. You, you know, that's great. The model and all of that looks good. But now you talked about that you had to raise your, your salary. I want to know how you get all these gyms built and, 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 and the school established and all that, all that model you talking about. How did that happen? God's grace. Mm. I mean, uh, we, we dealt with churches and communities around the country. In other words, you had to go out and raise that had too. to go out and raise the money. You had to go out. Get that done. Yeah. I, I, I was shocked and, 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 in the early 90s, I got a letter from Delta Airlines. Delta Airlines said, Dolphus, you become a million miler. And I went, what? What is a wow. million miler? Wow. What is a million miler? Mm-hmm. And I had to call people to try to figure out what that was. <laughs> <laughs> what that meant. That I, I thought had, you got a degree from that school. Well, I, look, look, so I had to become a million miler because we were traveling so places. Traveling. We identified 10, 10 cities around the country that we wanted to go to. We started with the one church in that Why you city. didn't go to the cities in Mississippi? Why you had to go around the country? They weren't ready. Mm-hmm. They weren't ready in Mississippi. In, in 19- so the money you were raising was outside of Mississippi for uh, Mississippi. Absolutely. Absolutely. I don't want you to I didn't want that to be missed, Officer. That, and, and, that and is ni- important. In and, and nineteen eighty six I came to my first church in Jackson. That's all I'm gonna leave. And I talked to them about supporting us. And um this is in 1986. And 1986. Been, and you started Minute Hall Ministries when? when you I, started I came back in 71. Okay. So. so 86, I got enough nerve to go to this church, and this church said got to me. Got enough nerve. This, this church said to me, said, Dolphus, you know, you might be doing good work, but we're supporting a black ministry in Canton. Do you want us to stop serving that black, that black ministry in Canton and start supporting Minden Hall? And I said, no. Because <laughs> we can only support one. One of y'all. <laughs> we can only support God, one. God, God gave me. We only got one. God gave me the wisdom <laughs> to say no, 
Keep Amen. on supporting that ministry. But but they, but at least they gave you the option. They gave, they gave you the option. They, they gave, gave you a choice. This is 1986. 86. 86. And he'd been in Mendenhall House since 1971. Yeah. And they heard about his good work. And it and allows you to come and make the presentation. That's right. That's, That's right. so kind of him. Right. That's right. Right. Yeah. Dolphus, what what changes do you see in a re, in real time? As you are doing the work in Mendenhall Ministries, gyms are being constructed, healthcare is being provided, education is being provided, all of this in the early 70s in a Mississippi that you acknowledge wasn't quite ready for it. What kind of changes do you see as that's happening, and as we're talking, as you're going through this in the 70s with you and your wife Rosie? So what kind of real changes are happening in this moment? And then what kind of real challenges are you guys faced with in this moment as well? Real changes is that uh, other people outside of Mississippi saw what we were doing as valuable. We had a lady to come over from Dallas that was looking at West Dallas and kept coming over to learn from us so they can go back and do it in West Dallas. A person in Chicago saw what we were doing. They came and looked at us and saw what we were doing. We still had the challenge, though, was how do you get people on the other side of the track to see what we were doing? In Mendenhall. In Mendenhall. Uh, In 1984, we had a hundred and some people coming down from from, uh, Illinois to help us remodel this building for Genesis 1 Christian School. hundred and some young people working on the building. And the president of the bank, the local bank, found out about it. And he came down there, and he saw all of these people doing this work. And he said he, he got challenged. He said, we're not doing anything. So he got his staff to set up a refreshment stand for these people working that whole week. And so his staff, which was, Dominant white, all white, had to come down and provide refreshments. So it opened the door a little bit more. And from that day forward, that bank was a whole lot more interested in what we were doing. This is is 84. This this is is in 84. And so we're talking about slowly people began to see the good works and and glorify God through the fact that the good works that Mendenhall was doing. Because of the kids that were working, and they probably asked them, why are you here? Why are you doing all this stuff? Had they had an opportunity to cross those mm. barriers. And so we're talking about from 70 to 84, 84, right? Seeing a lot of the same kind of inequity, inability to work across the aisle in that city. Mm-hmm. And, and, and yet there's just a slow, methodical, consistent commitment to the work mm-hmm. that leads to some glimmers as you, you know, small glimmers along the way. So in other words, you show up, Dr. Perkins says, Hey, we got a spot for you, but we won't have any money for you. Right. <laughs> you got to raise it. And so you, and so you raise your, your, your support. You show up in 71, 72 with Miss Rosie mm-hmm. and you guys are working tirelessly throughout this season. And you're just seeing small little glimmers here and there of the impact in terms of the unity impact. I'm sure you're seeing a lot of impact in the lives of the kids and in the lives of the residents, the the people of color there that are getting health care and getting things that they need. But in terms of that reconciliation impact, mm-hmm. 
it's taken a while before you see the movement there. Am yeah. I, is, that, is that correct? That's correct. And one of the hardest questions it was for me to answer is when, when those who came from outside of Mississippi down to Mississippi to work with us, or I am speaking at a church somewhere in California, Chicago, wherever, and they asked me the question, what is the white church in Mississippi doing in relation to this ministry? I want to know why that question was difficult. They weren't doing well, anything, so why didn't you just, they ain't doing nothing. Okay. <laughs> you knew the answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah but they were hoping that. They were hoping, they were hoping that. that. And you were hoping that they would withdraw because the white folks in Mississippi weren't doing anything. They would withdraw their help too, right? No, no, no. <laughs> no, that they were saying that if this ministry is doing this good work, what is the white church in Mississippi doing to help you carry this work out? Mm-hmm. And so at one time, Minute Hall Ministry was the biggest entry in Simpson County. Probably so. You can't say it was. You scared. <laughs> yeah, we we used to we used to try to look at some of those numbers. That definitely was the largest uh, uh, employer, employer of yeah. people there, yeah. especially people of color outside of the. And, and you know, people take for granted today. Yeah. For churches and things going to the inner city or whatever else, and. And they're still begging for volunteers, by the way, to to do things like you're talking about in the inner city and into poor communities and whatever else. Not only did you have people come into the the poverty-stricken area of Mendenhall, Mississippi, but also at some point in your life, you helped people go to the poverty-stricken places in the rural areas of various places in Mississippi. In Mississippi, but, but there's a higher one. The higher one is, I believe that God used us to not only have people coming from Seattle, Washington, and 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 Menlo Park, California, to to Mendenhall, to help us with difficult different things, but they also learn that they need to also deal with their own backyard. Wow! Because we used to, we because we used to teach people, thank you for coming to Mendenhall, mm. thank you for helping us out, but please don't ignore the poverty areas around you. Right. And 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 in in Menlo Park, California, about 25 years ago, that sh- there was a major church that heard us say that, Menlo Park Presbyterian Church. And they got introduced to people in East Palo Alto. And and although they stopped sitting us supporting us in Mendenhall, but, but, they, <laughs> but, they, but, but they started a relationship that far outlives what they did with us in Mendenhall. Amen. Mm-hmm. Amen. In Amen. East Palo Alto. They turn turn East Palo Alto into a major place that they can invest in rather than always running some other place. Now, that name name sounds like it's it's international, but it was in California. It was in California. Okay, I just want to make make sure people understand that, you know, today we have that challenge. Yeah. If you get a mission team in a hurry to go to Africa or Mozambique or some other place, but it's difficult to get a— crew. That's what they tell me. Even yeah. the major churches tell me they have a great challenge mm-hmm. of getting volunteers to come into, as you say, the backyard. Yep. You know, uh, I remember one time the Mississippi folk were talking about doing a, a mission trip by going to Africa and some other places. And one of our board members say, if you want to see a third world country, I can take you up, right up the road there, Anguilla, 
<laughs> Hollandale yeah. and everything in between if you want to see some third world countries and, mm-hmm. and things. When I work for Mississippi Home Corporation, we have some places in Bolton and in uh, Edwards that I went to visit and wow, it's like somebody dropped a grenade in those places. Mm-hmm. So we have poverty among us. Sometimes we want to look beyond and, and deny what we see before us. Mm. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. Dr. Weary, um, we we've been we've been on a marathon run here with a great conversation. It's probably a two part conversation to be Amen. honest with you. Um I would be remiss if I didn't at least take a minute to turn this conversation towards the work of reconciliation that you have been so instrumental in, um, particularly Mission Mississippi. Talk to us a little bit about how you came into the work of Mission Mississippi, the work of racial healing, and what are some of the more profound moments for you in this ministry in regards to the moments that brought you the most joy and the most hope as the president of this organization, and even some of the moments that brought you the most frustration and the most, um, the most sorrow in this organization. Wow. Mm. That, that was, um, you know, two things that, um, that God really kept in my spirit, you know, growing up in Mississippi, two large elephants in the state of Mississippi. Uh, one of them was, was, was poverty, um, and, and injustice among those that are, that, that, that were black. That was a, that was a big elephant. The other elephant was um, was just pure separation and racism, and all of the separation that's going on. So coming back to Mendenhall, there was an opportunity to deal with the poverty, mm. a poverty side, but on still on the other side of that, there's still this other major elephant. It's called racism. And not just racism, but racism within the body of Christ. Mm. So God had that in my spirit. And so when the board, uh, Lee Parrish started talking to me about uh, coming to, to Mission, Mississippi, I remember going to the first board meeting, and he was talking about the, the, our goal is, our mission is to, is to bring about unity across racial and denominational lines. And I stopped him and said, listen, I don't think we need to go that route because they both are two big elephants. Mm. Whenever you start talking about bringing people together across denominational lines, that's a big elephant. Mm-hmm. You know, when you start talking about bringing people together across racial lines, that's another big elephant. Mm-hmm. And I and I encourage the board to to allow us to look at pulling together people across racial lines. So mm-hmm. if you get a black church that's a Methodist and a black church and a white church that's a Methodist, pull those together and let's let's work at that mm-hmm. to try to br- break down this barrier. Of, of racism mm. and division and so forth. Mm. And I saw that as a major thing that we needed to do going forward. As we began to go forward, uh, there was some, there was some real significant things that God put in our spirit to do. Uh, the one was to, to do a, um, a tour of the state of Mississippi and they call it grace is greater than race. Yeah. Grace is greater than race. That can go into any church. You know, we need to understand that, that God's grace is greater than our, our race. We need, we need to see 
reach across yeah, those barriers. Absolutely. But and, you didn't start at it. What you wanted? What you want to call that before it got to grace is greater than race? Wait mean? a minute! What about, wait a minute! I forgot. Grace don't matter in the body of Christ. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that didn't yeah. preach, man. That's right. true, man. It's, it's true did, though. Dead right. on arrival. Right. <laughs> Grace don't matter That's in, the, right. in, in the, the body of Christ. In the body of Christ. But yeah. I, I didn't have to abandon that one. It's a true oh, statement, though, goodness. man. Oh my goodness! Yeah. Yeah. But, but, but I, I would, I would tell you that a a major milestone for us was when. When the pastor of First Baptist Church in Jackson said to me, Dolphus, I want you to come and preach at my church, mm. at First Baptist Church. Where are we, where are we year-wise in this moment? 90s? Um, 2000 and, uh, no, 1998. 1998. 1998. Okay. 1998, right. It was, at the, it was at the first prayer breakfast that I spoke at, and the pastor was there. So he said, Dolphus, I want you to come. And this was April. And he said, but you need to understand it's going to take a while for me to work out the details. Three months later, he called me back and said, Dolphus, I'm still working on it. Three months later, he called me back and said, I'm still working on it. He finally called me back and he had to say, Dolphus, you know, um, you know, it wasn't many years ago before we, we had deacons that used to come every Sunday and stand in the door to make sure that no black people would come in and sit down and worship. And he went through all of those kind of things, but he took a chance. He took a chance. Another glimmer. And it created a glimmer of hope. And that morning, um, that Sunday morning, when I got ready to preach, I walked in there and it must have been 1,800 people there. And at the end of that first sermon, there were three, 300 people lined up to speak to me. He had to come get me to start the second service. He took a chance. But what that did was it opened up some doors for black, for white churches, Baptist churches, particular throughout the state of Mississippi, and we began to get a little different hearing, a little better hearing around the state. Doctor Weary, that is 1998. 1998. Mm-hmm. I'm on the College of Mississippi. I'm on the campus, rather, of Mississippi State University, as a as a as a sophomore. He got his shirt on, Austin. You see, he got his shirt on. As a sophomore in college, in 1998. Wow, we're not supposed to be. Struggling with racial issues, they would tell me, as a young, yeah. young uh, college student on the campus of Mississippi State in 1998, those issues are behind us. Yeah. And you're saying that it took nearly a half a year, even longer than a half a year, just to even work out the details to get you to speak from the platform. In First Baptist Church, Jackson, Mississippi. But but wisdom on his part. No, 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 very, no. Very, very, very wise. But just it's the reality. Right, the reality. The yeah. reality yeah. of of that that being still prevalent yeah. and still existing in yeah. 1998. Yeah, he yeah. was still a pastor when Davis left. Just wanted you to know that. Amen. Amen. That, Amen. that he was still because 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 of the wisdom right. on on display. But it's incredible that sometimes we think that this past is so distant that's not really distant at all. In, in 1990, a young white pastor in Mendenhall came to the gym and played with, our, you know, play. he was interested in basketball. His congregation kicked him out of the pulpit. Never and to I, be seen again until we were in Amy, Mississippi. Amy, Mississippi. We said, he said, man, I'm still not over the pain. Not over the pain. His wife had just, his wife had, right. His wife had had twins. Just had twin babies. 
and then, you know they have a, a home. They have a home for the pastor on the campus. Kicked him out of the home. Kicked him out of the pastorate because he was associating with us. He just went down there to play basketball. Played basketball. Played basketball. Yeah. Right. And he lost his parsonage. Right. Lost his ability. Lost his living. Right. Because he played basketball with a young family. With the young family. Yeah. With the young family. In 1990. 1990. Yeah. And so you're talking about 98, 90. Mm-hmm. Of course, we mentioned 80s, mm-hmm. you know, where there where there's the struggles. 86, before you really see any any real movement, you know, in terms of in Mendehall. Hey, let's let, you know, we're going to, we're going to start fixing a few cups of lemonade for the folks that are coming down and, and, and doing work here on, on, on Mendehall ministry I think, property. I think yeah. you're making fun of that, but anyway, go no, ahead. No, 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 it's just, it's just the progress <laughs> yeah. that we oftentimes tell ourselves was so massive in the, in, in the sixties and the seventies was a lot slower than we really sometimes acknowledge or even understand. Even now. Even yeah. now. And, and and so this progress is real slow and real methodical. Right. So but you said you said in ninety eight it unlocked some things to 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 be on that platform at First Baptist. Absolutely. And, and what 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 did it unlock? What what opportunities begin to move uh come out of that? Once that happened within the quote Baptist church the churches began to open up more in Tupelo and around the state because we had had an open door at First Baptist Church in Jackson. Was, was, was that the year you, you committed to going to far the white churches and far the black churches and we end up going to like 90-something? We got our preaching field that year. I'm sure you did. Yeah. I'm sure you did. Yes. But, yes. But That's the doors open up in a wonderful, fantastic way because of that. Yeah. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. phenomenal. That's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. As we round the turn and close out our time here, what gives you hope as you think about your own journey and how far you've come, how far we've come, and where we are today? What are some of the things that give you hope about Mississippi? Mission Mississippi, I think uh, – we didn't pay him, y'all. We didn't pay him to say that. <laughs> it, see, it's easy to ignore the problem. Yeah. It's easy to keep on being right, going in the wrong direction. Mm. Being right, wow. going mm. in the wrong direction. It's Man, easy to he do got that. some deep stuff. It's easy to do that. Mm. It's harder to say we, we need to start looking at doing things different. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I sort of hate to say this, but let me just say it in a way. Um, I got on the board of Bellhaven College uh, probably in mid-90s, walked in the room, understood that the campus had about 20% African-American students. And I learned that we had no teachers, no administration, no coaches, nobody. Everybody was white. In a school right here in Jackson, Mississippi, that had... Um, you know, 20% African-Americans at that time. And I said to a friend of mine, I said, we got a problem. He said, yes, I can understand the problem as I talked to him about it. And he was on the board and he said, he said, Dolphus, the, the problem is the school has so many white males that's in their 70s and 80s on the board 
and they got money and they ain't going to change. What we need to do is try to move some of those board members to emeritus status, retirement, Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. forth. Let's get some young. And it took us about three years, okay, before that happened. And then all of a sudden, things began to go in progress in such a way that that Bellhaven now you look at it, you look at the number of, of African-Americans that are teachers, you look at them, uh, the numbers that are co- You look at it now and you say, wow, this is wonderful. But it started back in the mid-90s, intentionally doing some things that can make it happen. And I think Mission Mississippi gives people this sense of intentionality, that we're not going to look at the elephant and say, wow, that's a great elephant, and let's just, let's just forget that it's an elephant, and let's just keep on doing things the way we've been doing. No, let's look at the elephant and say, where do we start chopping from this elephant, and how do we make it happen? And I've seen Mission Mississippi move methodically to keep on keeping it before people how we need to move forward to erase this elephant in our community. Mm-hmm. This has been incredible, Dr. Weary, and we're grateful for your time and grateful for you. Thank you for what you're doing and keep on doing it because it's what God wants to happen. Let's quit putting stuff, hiding stuff, trying to look Mm -hmm. good. Let's be good rather than look good. Mm -hmm. Let's be good rather than look good. Mm -hmm. Okay? Mm -hmm. Thanks, you, Pat. On behalf of my incredible, incredible, remarkable friends. Remarkable. Mr. Incredible. Nettie, Nettie Winters. And Austin Hoyle, no, a.k.a. No, no, Mr. No. Incredible. I, I just I want to make it clear. Austin Hoyle is Mr. Mr. Yes. Incredible. A- incredible. And the According most impo- to my wife. Yeah, mm-hmm. and the most important person in his life named him that. Yeah. Validation. So so validation be, pending. Yeah, validation, validation pending. And she well, may or may not have been sarcastic. Validation don't pending. Be, don't be trying to uh, make a declination statement here. <laughs> On behalf <laughs> of my remarkable, incredible friends, Nettie Winters, Austin Hoyle, with our incredible guest, Dr. Dolphus Douglas Weary, we're signing off saying, God bless. God, God bless. God bless. Thanks for joining Living Reconciled. If you would like more information on how you can be a part of the ongoing work of helping Christians learn how to live in the reconciliation that Jesus has already secured, please visit us online at missionmississippi.org or call us at 601-353-6477. Thanks again for listening.